Welcome to Templo Talk, a Mayans MC podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike D'Angelo, and this is the podcast where we talk about everything Mayans MC, which is airing its fifth and final season on FX right now. So, Mike, can we officially start the Bottles fan club at this point? Oh, man. He is quickly becoming one of my favorite characters ever on the show. <laughs> I love Bottles. <laughs> Bottles is fantastic. And I want to shout out uh, the actor's name is Alex Barone. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's great. I mean, just just every little bit we get with Bottles just makes him so endearing. Um, yeah, there's multiple scenes in this particular episode where you're like, man, Bottles is the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope he, I hope he gets his patch. Um, yeah. So for this episode of the podcast, we're going to cover the latest installment of Mayan Seasons 5, which is titled I See the Black Light. This is the fourth episode of season uh, of the season, and it's fun for a couple different reasons. First, this is a pretty dense episode with a lot of moving parts, which includes the return of the Broken Saints, which I like, the return of Nails, which is awesome, and more, like we said, of our dude Bottles and his amigo Elio. Um, but also... Episode four marks the directorial debut of none other than Easy Reyes himself, J.D. Pardo. Hey, hey. Uh, and to commemorate this occasion, after our discussion, I have an interview that I recently conducted with J.D. Pardo that I'm going to share. And we talk a lot about the fact that this is his directorial debut. We talk also about what's going on in season five. And I can't talk to J.D. Pardo without asking him about the legacy of the Mayans and the Suns universe and how he feels being what a lot of people refer to as the new Jax Teller. Hmm. So before we get, of course, the Fast and the Furious franchise, right? Uh, (laughs) I (laughs) I didn't actually talk to him about Fast and Furious. But before we get to our discussion of episode four, I got to tell you the Templo Talk is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, Deep Focus, the Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. But before we get to our discussion of episode four completely, I do want to. Uh, if you would allow, Mike, uh, a minute to talk about what I was able to do over the weekend. Yeah, exciting stuff, man. It is exciting stuff. So not only do I host this podcast, but I also write for the Playlist Managing Editor. And in doing so, I have um, I've done interviews and I've written quite a bit about Mayans over the years. And I've developed a bit of a friendly relationship with uh, the people at FX who love that I like to promote their show, obviously. Um, I had a set visit, which we've talked about briefly in April, where I was able to see some, uh, I was able to spend two days on set, which was fantastic. And then they called me last week to ask if I would fly to Austin, Texas to moderate a panel at ATX Fest, um, which the panel had JD Pardo, Clayton Cardenas, Sarah Bolger, J.R. Bourne, and Emilio Rivera. And I was there, it was an hour long uh, panel. We talked all about Mayans. We we took fan questions, there were a lot of cool fans. And uh, we showed a clip from this episode, um, which was a debut for the people there. We also showed a clip from episode five, which I can't talk about. And yeah, it was was a lot of fun. Uh, But because of that, I was able to, as I said, record a, a separate interview with JD Pardo since I was there. And uh, I do want to say when when you listen to the audio, uh, it sounds like we're in a very busy restaurant and the microphone's having troubles. Um, that's because we were in a very busy restaurant and the microphone microphone was having troubles. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it isn't my my finest hour as far as the audio quality, but uh, I cleaned it up as best I could. And I think you still get the gist. I mean, JD Pardo is a great guy and, and he's got a lot of fun things to say about Mayans and and directing and, and all that. So I th- still think it's a great interview, but I do apologize in advance if the audio isn't up to my typical uh, level. So yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun times. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's always fun talking about Mayans and it was really cool seeing like a bunch of fans, especially uh, there was a lady, I, I told you, Mike, I think there's a video on, on Twitter of this. There's a lady who had a full cut and we always joke about wanting cuts. But this you woman don't even had have a cut, man. I don't even have a cut. <laughs> and this woman had a like a custom cut made and it looks just like what you see on the show. So uh, th- she was there and, and she got to ask a question and she got her, her cut signed by everybody there. It was really cool. Yeah, I saw just the clips that that were being thrown up on Twitter. It looked awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. OK, so with that all the way, let's talk about Mayans. Uh, episode four. Uh, we got a lot to cover here, Mike. This episode starts with. Uh, the execution of Easy's plan, which we t- we've been talking about quite a bit, uh, as we uh, when we left him, Easy was going to sell drugs he didn't have to a guy threatening to murder his whole family. Um, 
And we're like, that's a bad idea. Well, Easy goes to uh, the Asian gang in uh, in a fish market, basically, and he knows that they have the supplies that he would need to make more fentanyl. They're playing hardball. They don't care about his money. They don't care to help him. He finally offers them more of those guns uh, that they stole from the Suns in, what was the episode one? Uh, and that was enough to, to pique the interest of the Asian people, and they were able to get the supplies. Um, so, hey, as of now, Easy's plan, kind of okay, right? <laughs> no <laughs> as soon as the guns came up you're like oh dig in the hole dig in the hole yeah yeah but you know he's getting the supplies so the drugs that we were worried he wasn't going to be able to make we think he's going to be able to make um hooray then, for drugs yes <laughs> we then get uh a continuation of the uh i guess cliffhanger from last episode where hank learned from creeper that there's a rat in the club uh, Hank then tells Easy, Angel, and Bishop, the quote-unquote inner circle, that there's a rat. Easy tells Hank uh, and everybody else to keep it close to the vest. Why does Easy say that? Because he thinks he's the rat and he doesn't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> any any thoughts about how this rat thing's uh, coming along? Because we'll, we'll pick up a little bit more about that later. But Yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of the the many nooses around Easy's neck that are tightening here, and obviously, he is just dealing with whatever's in front of him. And yeah, he's just putting out fires, huh? Yeah, fires, fires, fires. It, yeah. It, how you know how many of these dominoes that he's setting up here are going to immediately fall down? We'll see, but yeah. Uh, I'm pretty it, sure it's going to happen quickly. I was about to say, it feels all this feels like it's coming to a head. Like yeah. there's he's he's bouncing plates and putting out fires. It's it's something's going to catch up to him. So we'll have to see for sure. For sure. Uh, we then get a little bit of Gilly uh, and his home life, which is good because in season four, we learned uh, a lot more about Gilly. And we learned that he um, we already knew this, but we got more into his army past and how he was a ranger and, you know, dealing with PTSD. And and we saw him like interacting with like a lot of his old uh, soldier buddies. And we are introduced to last season, uh, CM Punk, who is a wrestler uh, who plays one of his his buddies from the army. And CM Punk is is going through some shit and yeah. taking it out on his wife and kid and uh this season we see that gilly uh well we saw this towards the end of last season but it's confirmed that gilly has welcomed um the guy's wife and kid into his home to uh to try to help them out and there's a really really awkward scene where paul played by cm punk comes to the door and gilly's there and, and gilly's trying to be friendly and uh paul says uh so it's like fucking my wife yeah and you're like, oh boy, okay. <laughs> to um, which he says nothing, pretty much. Yeah, so. well, I mean, come on, right? Like, yeah. what are you supposed to say to that? True, uh, true. Like, I don't know. Like, you, you can say, I'm not, I'm not, I swear. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so clearly that's setting up some some future stuff. Um, we, we then get to kind of the meat of the episode, which is uh, what the Mayans are going to do about the drugs. Um, we, we pick up with bottles and uh, Elio the cook doing yoga because we, we saw that uh, Elio likes to begin the day with some yoga in the sun. Bottles is now taking him up on that offer. And it's pretty sweet, right? It's a really well like put together scene. There's no dialogue except I think it's after this scene where they start talking. Yeah. It's just them you know, doing yoga, living life, bonding. Uh, it's just charming and hilarious. One of those later moments that that is nice to kind of let out the steam. Yeah. And and so uh, that just kind of sets up so sets up a lot of what's going to come in the, the last part of this episode. But uh, we then cut to easy. Uh, I'm sorry, Sophia is getting a visit uh, at the shelter by a mystery man. We don't know who he is. More on him later. And then we uh, we get back to Bottles and Elio, and they're making drugs, which is great. They've, they've kind of figured it out. They're working really well together. They're going to take a break and, and eat a snack or something. And we see this really good scene where Bottles gets bullied by Lobo, who is just a prick. Uh, more yeah. on him later. And the cook <laughs> tells him, the cook says to Bottles, let's run. Let's do this. Let's get out of here because everybody treats you like crap. And Bottles has this really great scene where he says, 
you know, that's just what it's like to be part of a family. And then he talks about his surgeries um, and uh, how he's had what he, I think he says like he's had over 40 surgeries or something. And yeah, none of hopefully. none of this bullying is ever going to get to him. And it ends with Elio saying, you know, like we're amigos, which is super sweet. If it they really... kill bottles, I riot. <laughs> if they do kill bottles, I will riot because bottles is the best. And amigos. <laughs> amigos. They should have a shirt with bottles and Elio just says amigos. <laughs> I'd buy it. <laughs> I'd buy it too. And so they have this discussion. They go back to uh, to cook more drugs. And what do they find? Uh, Lobo had, uh, after his fight with bottles, he had gone and went back into the uh, the cookhouse, I guess, uh, the shed, and tried a little bit of the drugs. Uh, unprocessed. Yeah, come <laughs> on, man. And he ODs, basically. And uh, Sophia runs to help. Everybody is trying to help. And Sophia just looks at all the Mayans as they watch this man die. And she's like, get help, call 911. But I mean, you can't do that, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's he dies. A, yeah. It's kind of a chilling moment there where everybody's just kind of standing there watching him die and doing nothing. But, but feeling, right? Like, it's not like For they're sure. being cold about it. They just know, like, we can't call anybody, mm -hmm. which is a problem. And that's what Easy's new fire is. The Mayans all are like, we just had to watch one of our brothers die. You got to get this drugs. You got to take these drugs somewhere else. And uh, Easy has a plan. Another <laughs> Trust plan. Trust me, guys. He's got a plan. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to, we catch up with Miguel and the LNG cartel. And they are finally picking up the pieces of where episode four started with that whole hit on uh, the cookhouse. Episode three. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, episode three. Sorry, sorry, yeah. And <laughs> they're they're trying to figure out what to do. Miguel is is really kind of the level-headed person. Uh, Soledad is, is really treating him like shit. But Miguel finds a kid in the house who uh, proceeds to tell him, you know, what one of the guys looks like who, uh, who performed the hit. And he basically describes Angel, and he says, it's the man with the beard who looks sad with hair like a movie star. Um, <laughs> it's really sweet. It's a fun line. <laughs> Uh, it's and, such and, a hilarious it, and apt description of Angel. <laughs> I know what's funny about it is Miguel like seems to immediately know who he's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's now coming to a head where we're uh, we're gonna see the fallout of Easy's plan to kidnap a cook and and make the drugs himself. Have to imagine it's gonna end in bloodshed, but uh, yeah, absolutely. That, that's that's still to come. Uh, and then we get good old Hank. Oh, man. Another scene. Well, this one isn't as heartbreaking. Uh, he's visiting his mom in the nursing home. Uh, she's not eating. She's sleeping. He's just wanting her to get out and to do stuff and, like, interact with the other people at the nursing home. And he he makes a fun joke about the art class, about how no no skill is required. And Hank sees that there's an aerobics class. And wouldn't you know it, Stephanie, a.k.a. Nails, who is Angel's ex, who had the miscarriage, is there teaching aerobics to older people. And they have a reunion scene. And you can see Hank is all blushy and, <laughs> you know, trying to keep it all together. And Nails is kind of blushing. It's really sweet, right? Yeah, I it took me a minute uh, to, to process who that was. I didn't understand who that was. It didn't. I didn't recognize her as, as Stephanie or Nails. Um, so yeah, that's that's awesome that he's getting at least another chance to connect with her because she he was hung up on her hard. He really was. And Angel, like Angel didn't like knowingly steal her away right. from Hank, but he's just the beautiful guy with this, you know, movie star hair, you know. <laughs> he really is. And like, you know, and, and Hank is kind of this awkward, you know, mild mannered murderer. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. Hard times for mild mannered murderers. Spinoff title, Hank the Mild-Mannered Murderer. Yeah. Um, so we pick up with Easy after that with his master plan to move the drugs. And, and his idea is to relocate the drug cooking to uh, the Broken Saints location, their little clubhouse. Uh, so he goes to meet with Johnny Panic, which, complete aside and random, I found out that the woman who plays Johnny Panic is the same woman from Smile, a, a delightful horror film. 
and uh that made me happy completely unrecognizable but yeah she really is and and that's awesome i, I love that i just i looked at her i'm like she looks familiar and i googled it and sure enough <laughs> so so easy's offer is pretty simple we cook the drugs here you guys hide the drugs here and we will uh give you a cut of the money and we'll give you some guns which uh, it's kind of funny because at the beginning of this episode, I think it's Bishop says like, dude, we're down to like three cases of guns. They, they're, the gun currency is really running, running dry. Yeah. They're pretty much out at this point. Yeah. And uh, Easy has a great line. I think it's in like the trailer or something. It says the, the two things that keep you, uh, the two most important things in America are, are guns and money. And you're like, <laughs> oh boy. And, but he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, sure. And there's a, a really fun scene. I don't know if you picked up on this. I'm sure you did. Where Easy's like doing his typical shtick where his charming self where he tries to like reference a book and like a specific <laughs> author and like a quote from it. And she just goes to him and says, I've read a book too. You're not impressive. <laughs> yeah. Everything that has worked for him in the past is just not working with these people. <laughs> no, but, but he does speak their language. She yeah. makes him like... Uh, shovel like hay and, and shit and stuff but uh he does speak their language which is guns and money so guns and money every biker's language yep <laughs> we then just quickly pick up a creeper cre creeper creeper's old fbi girlfriend who's doing some investigating about the rat more on that in a bit <laughs> then we get the payoff of last episode scene with uh emily galindo and easy where he or where she asks him for a vehicle like an untraceable vehicle and the plan, as we know it, is Emily and her son are going to go to the store, separate themselves from their bodyguards, and run away. I think we said it last week that this wasn't a great plan. Um, yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, what could go wrong? And sure enough, she is having trouble separating herself from her bodyguards. And then as she's walking out the door, something shocking, which I wasn't expecting, the uh, a woman just starts calling her a murderer and says, <laughs> you murdered my son. And it's presumably the mother of the guy that uh, Emily had killed. And boy, oh boy, does that derail that, that escape plan. <laughs> yeah, I would have just ran harder, you know, see what happens. You know, she was so close. I, I thought about that too. I was like, if she just like literally ran, right? Like she's trying to be all cool, calm and collected as a way to like get out. But if she just ran, she might've been able to get in that car. Right. I don't know. Who knows? But then what? You know, that was my other thing. It's like, but then what, Emily? What are you gonna do now? Yeah, that's true. Uh, we let's let's just continue that thread for a second because uh, towards the end we get another scene where it's she's uh, sitting at the table with Miguel and her kid, and she's eating the dinner, and it she just looks utterly defeated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love. Uh, I mean, it is a miserable moment for her. But I love just how happy-go-lucky Miguel is throughout yeah. it all. He's like, yeah. this is my favorite dinner. <laughs> I love this. This is great life. It's hard, though, right? Like, in this whole side side plot for uh, Emily and, and Miguel, it's easy to, to see Miguel as a bad guy, right? Like, he is a bad person. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a member of the drug cartels and, and all that. But he's so just completely oblivious or maybe delusional. Like I can't figure out why he doesn't, why he still just wants to keep Emily around. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Maybe he just needs her for the kid or maybe he, like I, like I said, is, maybe he is confident. She's never going to try anything. Yeah. But maybe he does just think maybe he's just delusional and thinks that, you know, she'll eventually come around. Hmm. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. We, we then pick up with uh, Sophia at Easy's trailer and uh, that guy who she was kind of running away from in the earlier scene at the uh, shelter. He comes back and starts talking with her and she's definitely spooked and tells him to leave. And he says something about, you know, he wishes he could uh, could have been there and he forgives her. And basically alluding to the death of Sophia's kid. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. This is one of those moments where you're like, Sophia, maybe you should just go with him. <laughs> <laughs> might, might be better for you at this point. 
I, I mean, he's probably an ass, but yeah, you 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 wonder if if she's just facing certain death by sticking sure. around. Yeah, I feel like a target is in the middle of her forehead. The longer she sticks around with Easy, he doesn't have a great track record with women. <laughs> just ask the last one. Oh, oh, oh no. R.I.P. Gabby. <laughs> we then get the. Again, with the Broken Saints, the Easy in the Mines bring the guns to the Broken Saints. They're setting up the cookhouse. Nothing like a barnyard slash cookhouse, you know? <laughs> yeah. And we get Hank talking about the sons kind of making moves again. Um, they're they're still closing in. And there's there's confidence on Easy's part. And and you wonder again if it's just bravado or if he's trying to fake it till he makes it or whatever, but but he seems confident. If he and, is confident and truly confident, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> yeah. You got to, I mean, he is too smart to to be that, to show that much hubris, I guess. Like For sure. Or at least yeah. he was at some point. Right. Right. Mm. Uh, and then we get kind of a, a heartbreaking scene yeah. where the cook, Elio, is, is now moved to the Broken Saints uh, area. And of course, Bottles, you know, he's not the cook. He's not working for the cook. He's working for the Mayans. So he stays behind. So they're kind of separated. And the cook asks for Bottles. The guy rudely says the Bottles is doing some other shit. And then um, the guy, uh, Elio, says, can you please tell Bottles that we're amigos? And the the Mayans like, yeah, whatever, bro. And you're just <laughs> like, oh. So thus ends the, presumably ends the relationship between Elio and Bottles. Um, Nonsense. I know. Get them back together. <laughs> I know. And then there's a bit of a dun 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 where one of the broken saints goes to Johnny Panic and says, uh, "Who's going to tell mother about this?" Mm, yeah. And you get the Who's mother. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll probably find out about that soon enough. Then we we get we catch up with Louisa who we then find out is is still doing her dirty work with the cartel and she is asked to murder the leader of the rival cartel who uh they met with at the restaurant and tried to get on their side the guy brought up the government stuff the the you know Miguel and Soledad are trying to convince them Miguel ends up going in the bathroom and murdering that guy's like right-hand man and basically it's a bit of a shit show that relationship now so Luisa is sent to kill the, the leader of that cartel. She does it as she does. And uh, we see there is a little girl hiding behind a chair and she's crying and completely distraught. And it's super heartbreaking. Yeah, Luisa is already the thing she hated <laughs> yep. so quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, we then get the, um, I guess, kind of the closure on the whole Lobo drugs bottle situation where the Mayans are now burying Lobo, but considering they couldn't call it into the police, they have to kind of treat it as just like a, a murder. So they have to hide it out in the desert, hide Lobo's body in the desert. And and Bottles is like, they say, does anybody have anything to say? Nobody speaks up. Bottles says, I never really liked him. And somebody <laughs> says, so he said, nobody liked him, but he was a brother. And yeah. That's kind of, uh, that speaks to what Bottles, I think, was saying earlier about this being a family. They don't have to be friends, but they are family. The the Gilly stuff that he says next is is the big poignant part of it. Yeah, so, so Gilly, as we know, as I said earlier, was an army ranger. He's been through some shit and war, and he's forced to say a few words because he's the elder statesman of the Mayans at that point. And he has a funny line where he's like, oh, damn, I was the new guy not too long ago. But he says, Easy is my fucking brother. If he says this is a sacrifice that leads to victory, we've got to believe him. I've lost a lot of brothers. Some you bury in the ground, some you bury in your heart. And then Bottles, with the line of the century, says, uh, is anyone hungry? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And it, I, 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 I love that part of Mayans. <laughs> yeah, I love that part of Mayans because mm -hmm. they always find just the humor in super dark moments. Not always, but sometimes. And when those moments happen, they're just like such a breath of fresh air to kind of like cut the tension. Yeah, I love it. But I got to tell you, we have an interview with Gilly that I recorded a while ago. His name is Vincent Vargas. Rocco Vargas is what they call him. And I recorded this a while ago and we'll play it a later episode. And 
a lot of what we talk about, a lot of what this uh, actor has gone through is is dealing with PTSD from being an army ranger. And he's kind of made it yeah. his life mission to like promote like mental health for for veterans and you know fighting against PTSD and all that. So to see that that Elgin and and the writers are adding that in as part of Gilly's uh, story, I think is pretty great. Yeah, it kind of talks to what you were saying about Elgin. I think in one of our first episodes where he he takes guys that are legit and really have lived this stuff, and it makes it like. 10 times more rich because of it like i have a feeling bottles like those scars looked real i'm sure there's probably a makeup person who, who did that but no, no i wouldn't they're, be surprised they're real. They're yeah real. i wouldn't be surprised if that's his story as well so it just seems like he's good at finding people with a story and using it yeah yeah uh and he like he does that with uh in my interview with Emilio rivera that i played in the first episode of this he Emilio talks about how he just, yeah, he, he uses so much of the real life stuff as possible because you're a lot of these guys aren't accomplished actors, right? Like that's not a slight against them. That's just the truth. A lot of these guys don't have a lot of credits and, you know, people like Richard Cabral who played Coco was in prison for a long time. And a lot of these guys, the reason that the acting seems so solid, I think is because these guys are just talking from their heart most of the time so yeah yeah easy easier to get there you know when you've lived it i suppose yeah and and honestly i think about this a lot too especially after doing some interviews with these people is that i can't imagine the quote-unquote hollywood version of this show um right like yeah you can you can just imagine that if this was a bigger budget and if this was like uh i don't know some like cbs show or something they would have (laughs) just the worst actors for the roles it would just be such a different vibe chris o'donnell is easy (laughs) Easy reyes (laughs) chris o'donnell is marcus alvarez (laughs) oh Oh, sorry chris i don't i don't know you i i I haven't seen anything you've been in for a while, but I see you pop up in a lot of credits for those things. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He's part of NCIS, right? Like he's part of that, that whole family over there. I think so. so. He's doing mighty fine. Um, So yeah, but I could just, or like LL Cool J or something like, Oh God. Rob Lowe. Oh man. Rob Lowe (laughs) is Isaac, the sons of anarchy racist. (laughs) Uh, okay so we we then pick up with angel who uh finally puts maverick to sleep and joins louisa in bed this is after she did that murder um and she's just like struggling and we don't really see this with her because she's kind of a a cool cool calm and collected person for a lot of this a lot of the series um because she's you know a leader she's killed before quite a bit and uh, something about this really affected her. And it was because she, as you said, has become the thing that she feared the most. She murdered somebody in front of a little girl. And she says uh, that she wants Angel to help her make sure that Maverick always feels safe because the world is ugly and dangerous and we need to protect him from it. And as a parent, I'm just like, I'm right there with you. Yeah. You, you want to just shake these people and be like, just fucking go. <laughs> yeah. Things aren't yeah. gonna end happy for these for these people that just stick around. And also, like, not only is Angel like pissing off people that are gonna try to kill him, but Louisa is like murdering cartel leaders and shit. Like, yeah. she's really deep into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get uh, a couple things to end the episode. Sophia finally gets to speak with Easy after everything that's happened, which has included her ex coming back into her life, and also on the same day, her trying to resuscitate Lobo. And everybody just watching him die. And she just basically says that it triggered her. Yeah, she's had a day, man. Yeah, she really has. Um, And Easy says, you know, no more secrets. I'm sorry. I should have told you all this. And she's like, yeah, fuck yeah, you should have. And, you know, yeah. She doesn't mention uh, her ex, though. So. Yeah, that's true. Even though they say no more secrets. Yeah, we'll see. Mm -hmm. But then the bombshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Creeper's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, gets all of the files 
from Jimenez, who was working as Easy's handler when he was undercover. And he she starts listening to the audio of their discussions. And we know it's easy because we can hear his voice. But she just listen, listen, listen. And then uh, the FBI guy says on the recording, Ezekiel or easy, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then cut to black. Yeah. Directed by, directed J. by J.D. Pardo, <laughs> who is the one who screwed. Yeah. Yeah. So we get confirmation that uh, this whole rat storyline is going to uh, revolve around easy Reyes. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to do this. Yeah. So is it just going to be the FBI closing in on him? The cartels closing in on him? The sons are closing in on him? Are the Mayans going to be closing in on him too? It, yeah. It really like sounds everything that could be. Yeah. I mean, I assume she's got to go tell Creeper that it's easy, easy. She's going to easy or I'm sorry. Creeper's going to say that she's crazy. Uh, Gaslight her a bit. You're just acting crazy. You're hysterical. You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And um, and yeah, that's when I think the the scene is going to be Creeper and easy. Right. Because if you're Creeper, you want to confront the guy himself. You don't just tell Hank, uh, especially you know do you believe her i don't know there's so many moving parts to this that it could it could be weird and dangerous but fun to watch yeah it's only episode four and we're already like he's so close to to losing everything already yeah i i i get the feeling i can't talk about the scene that i was able to watch from episode five but i get the feeling that this is where the the gas really gets applied to this season we start moving pretty quickly and that's when all this stuff is going to start coming to a head so Mm -hmm. it's a 10 episode uh season right yeah 10 episodes we're at that we're almost at the halfway point so yeah should be fun uh any last thoughts about this episode before we wrap it up no it's just it's a solid table setting episode it's building on everything that we've we've already kind of gotten throughout the series uh like i said Bottles is an MVP. Gilly's doing some really great stuff. There's a lot of, uh, you know, like that plate spinning stuff where the walls are closing in on easy. I think it's it's really properly setting up things for what's to come. Yeah, I agree 100%. All right, Mike. So uh, until next week, I'm looking forward to it. And for listeners, stick around. I've got my interview with JD Pardo where we talk a lot about uh, episode four some more. So stick around. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I want to start by, um, I want to rewind to when you landed the role of Easy and realized that you're going to be the lead in a Sons of Anarchy spinoff. Were you already aware of Sons and what it did to Charlie Hunnam's career? And was that kind of intimidating knowing that, like, you're that guy for this show? To the first question, yes. I, I um, Going into it, I knew of Sons. I never watched it up to that point. Um, but a, lo- a lot of my friends, were, you know, when Sons was on, were like, you got to watch Sons of Anarchy. It's the best show in the world. And so I, I knew of it. I knew that it was epic, massive. I knew that Charlie was massive and Jax was legendary. And so when the show came, came along, I immediately wanted to do it. Um, and honestly, I'm not too bothered by comparisons. I'm, I'm not, uh, or I should say I'm not intimidated by that, you know, cause I, I feel that I, I believe in my abilities and I believe in my instinct and my creativity and, and I believe in my heart and I just felt like, I could bring something that hasn't been seen before in uh, in the Sons of Anarchy universe, and and it was a challenge to create easy. It was a challenge to um, to to bring Mayans. You know, I I told Kurt Sutter in the auditioning room. Um, I I just told him flat out. I said, I'm the guy. I, I can, you can put Mayans on my shoulders and I will not buckle. That's, I mean, because 
you weren't, you know, a massive A-list guy. You weren't in Fast, Fast and Furious at this point. So that's uh, pretty brave for you to, to go to Kurt Sutter and, and to say that to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always look back at that moment and I just feel like, I mean, you have to produce, you know, you got to produce the work. And, and I did in the room, which made him want to, you know, uh, talk to me on a deeper level about the next level of what this is all going to be. But, man, I got to tell you, the beautiful thing about failure, once you've really experienced it over and over and over, is that you just stop caring about the what ifs and if this doesn't work out, whatever it is. Like, I, I just didn't care anymore. I just wanted to give my heart over to this fully and just trust that if this was meant for me, then then um, I'm in the right place. I want to talk about quickly the transition from season two to three when yep. Kurt left and Elgin took over. Uh, I feel like of all the changes, the most, uh, the, the biggest changes I think happened with Easy. Uh, I, 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 we just did a panel and I joked that your magic memory disappeared, for example. What was that like? And is there anything you remember about that transition and, and how it's affected the trajectory of, of where Easy is going? Well, I think that uh, just with that example um, that you just provided with his memory, um, it's a matter of styles, right? You know, Kurt has his style, Elgin has his style. And Easy's memory hasn't changed from season one to season five. It hasn't changed. And the, what has changed was how we show it. And in seasons one and two, it was very, there was this, um, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but there was this way with the camera that we would push in and we would show what he was looking at, you know, and, and then show like a little flashback and then this recall and then you're back on Easy's face and it's like, oh, and then he says what he's, you know, and everyone knew. That was a way to inform the audience that, hey, um, Easy's using his memory. When Elgin took over, two things happened. One was his, the style changed of the show. Uh, Elgin is more about more cinematic. He's more about cinema than he is TV. And he always talked about bringing uh, cinema to television. That's, what, that's where his, his mind and his vision was going. The other thing was he didn't, he didn't care too much for showing the audience through a camera gimmick uh, which I learned in directing my own episode, <laughs> is that he does not care for camera moves. He want, he doesn't want the audience to be taken out of it with an obvious camera move. Um, so he wanted to eliminate that that uh, those beats in the episodes where we would show the audience like to their faces. Here you go. Here's his memory. Because also to his other point was, if they're watching the show, they know now. Yeah. They know that he's super smart. They know that he's aware. He's sizing everything up that he's calculated. So we don't have to play that anymore. Um, and yeah, I mean, as as an actor, um, I just I go where the creator wants me to go. That's awesome. So let's let's now talk about season five. This uh, episode that we just saw uh, is the directorial debut of Mr. J.D. Pardo. Um, I want to uh, ask you quickly, just you know, how that came about, if you could tell that story. So Elgin, um, you know, I've, I've always since since my start with Mayans and even prior to that, just always hanging around with camera, always asking questions, always sitting with the director, always interested with um, with the process, the community that that it takes to uh, make a scene happen. And Elgin asked me in season three if I wanted to direct, and I said yes, I do, in fact, and. Um, told him a little bit about what I was thinking about for the future uh, for myself and he was just like all right done you're gonna direct um, let's find it in season four we'll find an episode and I was like no 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 like now <laughs> now that I know that this is what you um, that you want me to direct an episode of my ends let me do let me do season five and I will spend season four really watching shadowing everything everybody 
and uh, really understanding the process so that I can hit the ground running. And so let's let's talk about uh, that, that process a little bit because I feel, uh, not to undermine what you've done, I feel like you're at a bit of an advantage because you've worked with these people for, for so long. What was that like? Was that just kind of a cool way to, to do your first directing gig? Absolutely. Listen, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm very honest about about everything. It's, it's the only reason how I've gotten to this point. You have to be honest with yourself. And listen, I haven't even directed a home video. So so I understand that because of Mayans, my work on Mayans, my position on Mayans, um, and also I've proven myself season after season after season with, with what I can handle in all facets of, of this show and business. So yeah, I got bumped ahead of the line, and but also, and I knew I knew that going into it. But I also had to remind myself that Elgin would not let me do this if he did not trust me, and the studio wouldn't sign off on it if they did not trust me, and everybody around me, the actors or whoever, would have probably been like they would have had a different reaction if they hadn't trusted me. So what I found was everyone was just like, yes, yes, or of course, or, you know, they were excited about it. And I was like, oh, well, I guess everybody expected it except for me. Um, so, so yeah, it, I was an added, added advantage. And, and what I've learned about that, I don't have time to go to film school. I've always wanted to go to film school. I've never even been to like a real acting school. And this was my film school, being for, Mayans, uh, my for directing episode four, I, I Elgin sent me films that he that have influenced him, uh, moments that inspired him with Mayans and camera, color palette, um, sizes of the the lenses, the frame, and then I just did my own extra work and studying about about what it is about the frame of a scene that draws the audience in because that's if you're not emotionally connected to anything it doesn't mean anything right like you have to have an emotional connection whether it's to your partner or wife or whoever or else they're just not that to you you know but if you have that emotional connection then it becomes something more and it's like how do you take what's written on the page the frame to use that will emotionally connect the audience and that's what I wanted to really focus on. I want to talk about one scene in particular in your episode which is uh, this really great scene with Easy and Johnny Panic from The Broken Saints. You were talking about this like everybody knows Easy smart and uh, he, he demonstrates that time and time and there's one moment in there where you demonstrate how smart you are by quoting a book and she goes we've all read books. What was that like, uh, not just directing a scene that you're in and, and it's kind of this back and forth, but also uh, finally coming up with a character, coming up to a character that is uh, not, not here for Easy's BS? Yeah, that was um, uh, refreshing. And yeah, it is a little, um, you know, I think that was the question that Elgin and everybody had was, you know, we just got to figure out when you're in the scene, how are you going to do it? And you know what, man, I was just extra prepared I knew the frame I knew what the frame was looking like in my head I would set it up with the stand-in for me put them in in position I would be at video village I'd watch the monitors watch the frame once I okayed it um, then I would hop in there and then at that point I would trust everybody around me if there was something technical they would let me know that there was something technical and we go um, we'd fix it and then we go again if nothing was technical it looked great then I just would just do one more take that was pretty much two takes three takes max wow. and I'm out you know for everything that's exactly how I wanted to shoot I wanted to do the prep and get people in and out and um, and as far as uh, coming up to a character like Johnny Panic, who is not here for Easy's BS I think that's extremely refreshing I think Easy is excited and turned on when he meets people <laughs> who are intelligent because that is easy believes in that that is a big part of who he is um, whether it was school and excelling at school or whether it's excelling at leading a club um, he uses uh, his mind and 
and which which then makes easy shift gears in that scene because then he's like oh i can't bs you you're not um you're not thrown off or impressed by my knowledge so then i'll be honest with you yeah this is where i'm at and the truth is the money and guns rule the world and that's the truth yeah whether you like it or not, whether you believe in it or not, whether you think it's wrong, it does not matter. This isn't a, a, a question about how you feel. This is a fact. Yeah. And, and so because of that reason alone, the deal is made. I, I got one more question about Yeezy's as a character. Uh, he's done some pretty horrible stuff, uh, particularly in the last couple of years and probably highlighted by the murder of Gabby. Um, so when you're playing this character, uh, do you, because you got to find the good in them, but I'm curious if you feel like there is anything redeemable with Easy Reyes. Well, it's definitely the challenge, right? Um, whether or not I think that there's anything redeemable, I feel like that's for the audience to decide. I think they know Easy's heart. Um, and it's funny because, you know, speaking with that, about that situation in particular, uh, the Gabby scene, I've had a lot of people comment on that, and, you know, of course, a lot of people are angry. How could you? Um, you know, she was the love of your life, or that was your girlfriend, and she loved you. That's one way to take it. The other way to really look at it is the purity in which Easy stands. And this is what I think throws people off at times, is that... When he says something, he's going to do it. And who is, the who is really the love of his life? It's not Gabby. It's Angel. Yeah. Angel is the love of his life. Man, he will protect Angel. He will kill for Angel. He will do whatever he has to for his brother. And, um, and so in that situation, when she was saying, I have to turn your brother in, I'm going to tell the cops. Easy, three times in that scene, says, don't do it. You can't do this. Don't do it. And then finally, it was just like, I have to protect my brother, and I have to protect you. And as weird and strange as that sounds, or people are like, oh, that is so wrong, in Easy's mind, he did what he had to do. It didn't mean he didn't love her, but he had to end it. And, um, and so... For me as an actor, when I look at a character like this and I think about whether or not there's good in him or it's redeeming, I think, man, those waters are so muddied now, you know. And I, I do, here's because the, the truth is this, Charles, is that good people do bad things. Yeah. And bad people also do good things at times. It's so just gray, you know, and it's the circumstance. And it's like... And I'm not condoning any of it, but as an actor, I look at what is Easy trying to do? What is the purity of what he's trying to do? He is trying to put the, the club on top, and he's trying to protect his brother. End point. Yeah. So I, we just did a panel, and I asked you this question, and so I won't get you to rehash that, but as I mentioned before, this is Mayans, which is led by Easy, but this is a spinoff of Sons, which was led by Jax Teller, played by Charlie Hunnam. We saw that even to this day, Charlie Hunnam, he could do a million huge movies. It He's always, always Jax Teller. Yeah. And you have done, like I said, you were in Fast and Furious, you were in Terminal List, Roadhouse, which I can't tell you. I interviewed Jake Gyllenhaal, and I told him about my love for Roadhouse, so I'm, I'm psyched about that. Dude, I can't wait to do an interview with that. we got to interview that, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but um, so so you had said in, in your answer that you looked at it as a challenge. Like, everybody's going to know me as easy, so i got to overcome that. Uh, I would love for you to, to go into a little bit of, like, how you arrived at that mindset. You know, I, I think that I was I, I was born with that mindset in the sense that I didn't come from Hollywood. I didn't have parents or family that were in the business. I didn't know how to go about it. So I just, I had to make decisions for me. And right from the beginning, the odds were you're not going to make it, you know. But you have to believe in yourself more than anybody else believes in you. It, it, that's just the truth. If you can't believe, regardless of the job, regardless of the desire, what, what you're looking for, the circumstance, if you don't believe in you, it's not going to happen. And I'm not saying that means it will happen, but that's, that's the journey, right? So I knew that 
that um, I had to believe in myself. And, you know, Jax is such a legendary character. I, I just, the way it's affected the world, you know? I mean, I, I remember when we first premiered in that first season, and like, yeah, there was a lot of people were excited, and then you're gonna get, you know, a lot of hate. I'm not Jax. You know, Easy's not Jax Teller. You know, you're not Charlie. You know, um, Jax would destroy Easy in a fight. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> no, Sorry. No, no, he no. wouldn't. I appreciate everybody's, you know, bias in that situation, but that would be probably one of the easiest fights that Easy has. Easy would jack that Jax up, okay? Um, but um, Charlie is so brilliant and created such a character with Jax and it took oh it had this thing that happened with this relationship with the world and the fan base that I couldn't touch it I couldn't touch it because a that would be stupid for me as an actor but but also I wanted to preserve and protect um, how the audience felt about him you know so I really wanted to create something different and this will stick with me for for a while but I feel like again that's just who I am and also that is my not my job but it's it's my job and it's the challenge every project that comes along is going to be different every character is going to be different than easy and can I do it well enough to where uh, you may say at first like oh there's easy that that dude's that's easy from Mayans but if you know will there be a time where you say like you, you see that other character, you know? And that's what excites me, is that challenge. Like, can I do it? Can I make you uh, forget about easy, you know? Uh, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really, I, I am really, really excited about, about that opportunity. And, um, yeah, man. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for talking with me. Uh, it's great. E uh, Easy's a legend, always will be. So, oh, thank you so, thank much. you so much. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.